Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Your Everyday Cyber Podcast with Limor Kessum and Diana Kelly. We live in a cyberspace almost all the time, but do we know enough about living in it securely? Join this dynamic duo as they take you through an exploration of daily cyber activities and how you can make better choices to make them secure for yourself and your family. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Welcome to Your Everyday Cyber. I'm Lamorne Kesson, a cybersecurity professional and advisor. My co-host is Diana Kelly, a cybersecurity expert who is the CTO and co-founder of Security Curve. So with Thanksgiving behind us now, many of us are in full swing shopping for loved ones or for ourselves, and the internet is brimming with gift ideas and sales everywhere, and it's kind of hard to resist, I have to say. Well, some people wait for this time of year to buy the higher value items, so this is definitely the season. Diana, do you have a pending wish list maybe you are planning to execute on? So I have a wish list. I don't think I'm going to execute this year or maybe even for a couple of years, but I'm a TV person. I mean, I'm a tech person in general, but I really like TVs and big TVs. And uh, I'm I'm super excited about something called the Ultra Short Throw. Have you heard of this, Lamore? The Ultra Short Throw television? No, ma'am. It, it, it's a projector TV, but instead of having to have one of those projectors that's in the ceiling and you know that's a certain amount of far away from the wall, you you have it, it can be just like about a foot away. So I have this dream of having uh, this wall that I can pull down a, a big projection screen and just have this tiny little UST unit in front of it so that when it's off, it just looks like a wall with photos on it. And when it's on, it's a giant television. So don't think I'm gonna get there oh this year, goodness. but that's this on my list. fancy. <laughs> UST, yeah. Indeed. Well, Diana, we have a wonderful guest today who is perfect for this special holiday episode. We're going to discuss all these different and awesome gadgets with him. And he is our jolly Scott Schaeferman, one of the (laughs) most security savvy people I know from the ground up and one of the smartest ones. Scott, it's so good to have you back back on our show. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. I I really enjoyed the last one we did. I I actually still get comments uh, on it all the time every time ITSP re-airs it or re-advertises it. So do we. Um, And this is really great. I can't think of anyone better to than to go shopping with you on gadgets. <laughs> so let's get on the favorite list that many of the top online shops are showcasing this year. I know many cool kids who are asking for VR headset. And by kids, I mean, I mean like people who are, you know, anywhere four to 94 as the <laughs> song goes. So aside from all the fun, are there some sort of privacy risks or information security risks that I should think about before purchasing this uh, big ticket item? That's a great question. Uh, so like VR headsets are definitely finally starting to come into their own. The first one I used was probably four years ago. And I was at a bar sitting at a high table and I fell off my stool while I was using it uh, when a zombie jumped out of a closet and just scared the crap out of me. And I never <laughs> used one since. Uh, not because it was that scary, but because like they really didn't, for me, um, they don't make a lot of sense. Like I don't really enjoy that that immersive experience like many do. But the immersive experience is kind of where some of the research has been lately because just like I fell off the bar stool, you know, if an attacker is able to modify 
what the walls look like, for example, in the in the 3D room that you're in, uh, when you're wearing these headsets, you, you orient your space uh, according mm -hmm. to what you're seeing. Um, and so you can actually manipulate people to like step and fall off some stairs or a balcony or, or run into a wall um, by hacking that environment. That was some research from earlier this year. Um, it's kind of corny research. I don't know how theoretically or how realistic that is, but um, that was one of the angles. And then the other one, I think, is like you just mentioned, like these things, uh, you know, just like we all know in cybersecurity, there's ways to authenticate who a person is based on their keystrokes or how they talk or their voice. Uh, and VR headsets do a lot of recording and understanding of what you are as as a as a biomechanical body uh, and where your eyes look and how you t move your head and everything else. And with a high degree of accuracy, data scientists can tell who's wearing the headset uh, mm -hmm. even more than they can with just like a unique password or even a fingerprint. Um, so that's interesting because. You know, it's, it's, I don't know that the attack is like, you know, attacker gets the laptop connected to the software with the VR headset and starts to understand, like, this is far-fetched, right? But but more realistic probably, and I think this applies to any gadget, is these these uh, companies track this data, store this data, and a lot of times they're storing it in the cloud. And many times those cloud configurations of that, that kind of user data is not done securely. Um, and so those things are getting scraped by uh, uh, China and other organizations and in APT front, but also on the marketing front. Um, and as a result, your you know your kind of your data goes everywhere. And eventually, if we all are someday wearing VR headsets um, or doing augmented reality or or hybrid, which is the mix of both, uh, you know your your privacy in terms of identifying who you are will probably really matter. Uh, so much so that the idea is you can just slap on your headset and it knows who you are just in the first you know five seconds of you talking and looking around. So I don't know. Those those are some thoughts that came to mind right off the bat. But I think we're a little far away from do I need to worry about wearing my headset right now? And I don't think you do too much. <laughs> cool, because I know you know it connects. You're an app phone. Uh, sorry, a phone application. Uh, there's a Bluetooth bearing. There's headsets that connect to the Wi-Fi. There is accounts to buy stuff on the app store. I mean, all these little things that can map back to stuff that we already know from other things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's wild. Years and years ago, I remember meeting with a startup that I think we're going back 20 years. It was a startup that had this cool idea for authentication, which was just you had a pattern of how you held your laptop and moved it around to authenticate. And I remember all of this research that they showed me that they said, because I was like, come on, anybody can learn that I'm going to you know, wave it left and right. And they said, no, actually, your physical pattern of doing that. The research was incredible. I think it was just a little too hard to implement something like that. But you make a great point, Scott, that just even the way that we pick up our, our headset could be authentication into the into the app and then the breadcrumb into knowing everything about what we've done virtually and now not just online, but in the metaverse too. Um, so speaking about being online and some games that, that people are looking at, one that's really popular is a, a stream deck. And I was wondering if first you could explain, because the first time I, I looked over and I saw my partner was watching a Twitch stream of someone else playing a video game. I was like, are you actually watching someone else? He's like, yeah. And I thought it was the craziest thing. So wh what are streamers? What's, what's streaming? You know, tell us about PewDiePie <laughs> and, yeah, and what streaming is. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I do 
some of this kind of thing because you always kind of have to participate in order to know how to secure and how to like educate the, the market right but um uh you know the the idea that you're watching somebody play a video game like from right behind them and you're actually more into the fact that you're watching the human than you are watching just the the screen itself uh being streamed it's, it's kind of interesting and these stream decks really kind of come into play in that regard because you know gamer needs a way to quickly hit a device and use these these buttons and you and i would call these things macros mm -hmm. um, but they're they're the ability um to execute multiple commands with one button or to see a status like am i live right now or is my mic caught um, or do i want to put in some kind of sound panel you know thing that that is part of my branding as a, as a twitch streamer and personality there's all sorts of things you could do in fact you can do anything with the stream deck you it's completely hmm. programmable to do uh, whatever you want to do based on the content you're doing and what you're trying to accomplish, right? So it's just a way of kind of extending the human body to not have to worry about right-clicking or making sure that your focus on a certain window is active before you do the the, the, the key the shortcut key command, right? Because that, that messes people up all the time. So Stream Decks were invented just to facilitate that. But right from a security perspective, it's kind of interesting um, because these things are connected to a Windows box and they're, like we said, are just basically the ability to do anything <laughs> and they come with drivers and they're integrated with windows and so so the threats could kind of almost flow either direction if that makes sense i mean mm. if these things were comp comp compromised via supply chain um, or via some kind of firmware update that was malicious or physical tampering you could send awkwardly bad evil commands from them to the windows laptop um, and conversely, if somebody were to compromise the Windows laptop, like a you know typical spear phishing example an end user gets, uh, maybe they could actually compromise the software of the Twitch device or the the uh, uh, the, the uh, Stream Deck, so that it's doing things that you don't know it's doing, um, like um, typing key commands that are sending you to a malicious website or uh, capturing your passwords or uh, any number of you know stealing crypto keys. There's there's not a lot you can't do. So. All it is is a, a box that allows anybody physically there to do anything they want to. Um, and that's just kind of interesting from a, from a secure dynamic. You have all the complexity you need to use your imagination as an attacker to target an individual or a whole swath of individuals if you get in at the supply chain level. Uh, that's really interesting. So if I say I'm using, I have an SSH key to be able to admin one of my boxes in the cloud and that's sitting in a repository on my laptop, I feel like that's very safe. But if, a, if someone could get into this stream deck, then they could export that key out to themselves. They could do something like that, you're saying, or, or my, 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 wow, that's, that's really impressive. It, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I read some comments somewhere a little while ago where uh, a user realized that every time she was RDPing back to her home box, mm -hmm. um, she noticed that the Stream Deck would automatically activate and go live. And so her, her concern was like, you know, that physically I'm not there and it's there. And it, it could just be, you know, a cat could walk across it or, or a person or a maid or anybody else could just use it just because you're RDPed in. So there's no way to like kill it when you're RDP. Like, there's all sorts of just kind of logistics challenges. It's kind of a new world in that regard, but. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's a new world. And I have to say that like many gadgets, they look so cool and so tempting that a lot of times people tend to overlook these things, but they should think about them still um, just to keep their family safer. So that kind of brings me to the next question about virtual voice activated assistants. That's still growing in popularity. 
And we're talking about stuff like Echo, known as Alexa, or Apple HomePod, Google Nest, all these great things. There were there were some serious blunders in the past couple of years with privacy concerns. There's some leaked private data, uh, data that was kept that wasn't supposed to be kept, all these really interesting things that people should know about. And now I'm thinking, okay, have they fixed these things? Do I have any reason to feel better about these gadgets this year? So, I mean, no, you shouldn't feel better about it. It's like to the extent that a person inside their own home has a concern about primarily, let's say, privacy, right, um, is the very extent to which they should not stop worrying about it and really focus on what devices, what brands you're buying, how often you update, whether there's automatic updates. Like it really is truly um a, a a realistic threat that does materialize as, as you know as a risk it actually materializes in the home all the time um, and the the vectors are are many we you, you just went over you know several of them but you even have employees that work at some of these uh, companies um, that are able to review voice uh, to to see how well their AI is training and to understand whether or not they're doing well and supposedly this is all anonymized, so you don't know who the voice is, but it's still awkward if you're in your bedroom having, you know, pillow time with your partner or whatever, um, you know, that's still your voice, right? So it's just it's just disconcerting that this stuff does get recorded in the cloud, uh, can have human review uh, on it. Um, and that's just one angle. I mean, there's the whole um, connected home concept uh, itself is interesting because the devices are connected to all of your IoT, even your garage door. Uh, and so to the extent that those are able to be attacked either in the cloud um, to attack you or via a malicious app on your phone where, the, where those widgets actually have their own apps, all of these things are so interconnected that the physical security of your home can be impacted as well. Um, you know, there's, there's even key locks on doors on your front door that are tied to Alexa. Uh, and and is that a good idea? Well, it's very convenient, but I'd I'd take a key and a lock any day over a, a keypad, let alone a connected keypad right on my front door, because that's my front door. Same thing. So, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that question. Other than say I'm not a, I'm not personally a fan, and I think uh, the number of threats and types of attacks that have even yet to be imagined will only continue to grow. They're not going to diminish, and that space is not going to get particularly better at securing these cheap devices. Agree. Yeah. We had an incident in my family uh, earlier this year that might be uh, useful for the Your Everyday Cyber audience. It was one I had not talked, had not thought about as a security risk of these voice activated assistants, but um, a an elderly member of the family fell down and was unable to get up, which is a very common occurrence and is a huge Alexa fan and had Alexa in every room in the house and was saying, Alexa, call 911, not understanding that Alexa doesn't call 911. I think there are some issues with why Alexa. So if you've got someone in your, your family that may be counting on one of these devices to make an emergency call, on top of 911 not being an option, this person also had the, the television very loud, so Alexa couldn't hear them to call anybody else either. So just sort of a note, if you're getting these as a security feature for one of your elderly relatives, which a lot of us have, um, just to note that if they listen to the TV loud, uh, Alexa may not call 911 and may not be able to hear who they're asking them to call. I think almost all elderly people listen to the TV loud. 
Yeah, I think you're you're probably right. I mean, look, I can my hearing's going too. So you know. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, for for that application, it's better to advise them to get a watch that has the ability to just like double click or triple click the crown to call nine one one almost automatically, right? So I it's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, we hadn't either. And uh, this, I have to say, this family member also had the watch, but it wasn't charged. So, um, yeah, thinking, well, Alexa will be there for me. And Alexa's there for you, but just make sure you know what Alexa can do. Um, okay, so so next on the list, Scott, is all the, you know, it's, it's all about the PlayStation 5, the new Nintendo Switch, Series Ooh. X which I have heard from a lot of parents. They've been pretzeling themselves trying to get the Series X for their kids this year. I guess it's a supply chain issue. Um, but uh, lots to think about when we look at these consoles. What, what should parents and kids be thinking as they're, as they're getting online, tuning up these new consoles? What should they keep in mind about activating them securely and using them securely? Uh, um, so given your audience, I'm going to try not to use my like firmware <laughs> driver malware <laughs> stuff, right? But like the first thing to start with as a parent is, is the child, <laughs> mm. and, you know, if, if you're, if you're raising a child that is inquisitive, inquisitive and, and kind of a natural born hacker, like most of our children are and probably this group <laughs> and, uh, and all of our peers, um, they tend to want to break things and, and figure things out and, and reverse them and, and understand them. And when you get into like PlayStation land, like like you mentioned, you know, there's there's been jailbreaks for PlayStations all the time. PlayStation 5 just had a new update where literally a five-year-old could, could now, you know, jailbreak their PS5 and get the root keys for for the device um, or have access to the debugging facility and be able to do anything. And wow. What I think a lot of like, even if you want to encourage that, like, let's say you're the kind of parent where you're just like, yeah, let them hack the planet. It's a great way to learn. Um, when you start doing that, you start getting into bad legal grounds, ethical grounds, but also um, additional risks because you're, this device is in your home on your same network as the other 40 devices and phones and laptops in, in, in your own home. And you're allowing a third party unsigned, you know, code uh, by folks that are less than ethical already because they're already in the jailbreak business, right? To, um, to, to, to have presence on your home network and to be able to attack your laptop and your phones and uh, you know, whatever else they want to in your house. Maybe some of those Alexis assistants, for example, right? Like when you're not home, um, you know, what if they're able to just make the, the, the PlayStation say, Alexa, open the garage door. I mean, you know, I'm just making stuff up at this point, but like there's... <laughs> There, there's there's a whole computer stack on these things and they're their most powerful computer in your home, I guarantee it. And so there's a lot of malicious things that can be done beyond just allowing you to play a game for free and crack it. You know. For sure. And it's no longer just games. It's a connected um, device like everything else. And, uh, and all these things that apply to other connected devices apply here even more. Uh -huh. and, and especially since you have your youngsters on it. Uh, pretty much, you know, for hours in some cases. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to add to that too, because a lot of the, the children these days still don't use consoles. They prefer PC gaming. Uh, for example, some of the mm. Twitch folks that are heavy into PC gaming, right? True. Uh, which is what you and I, we, we came up on, but yeah. with PC gaming, you know, a lot of these folks are running things like Logitech devices or, or a Razer mouse or this and that. And 
those those devices have drivers that you have to install. Anybody that knows what I'm talking about will already get where I'm going. But you know, Logitech <laughs> has had its own slew of vulnerabilities at the driver level, and bad guys can mm-hmm. use those drivers to escalate to be admin or system level privilege on the device, which basically means they've hacked your whole laptop and can do absolutely anything. True, uh, including uh, empty your bank account, folks. Uh, exactly. Like you know, steal your crypto keys if you're doing cri- crypto or um, read all of your emails or uh, there's everything mm-hmm. that, that reset that, your that, banking password. Right. right? And oh, yeah. it's 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 the drivers. But even like the mouse itself, like Razer had an issue where if you plug in the mouse, uh, Windows 10 and 11 is happy to go ahead and download this special software that's supposed to go with it from Logitech. And if you do like a shift uh, right click, right click shift command feature, it will allow you to be admin locally. So you oh can have a God. locked laptop, plug in your mouse, and somebody yeah. or somebody else can plug in a uh, Razer mouse and get physical access to the laptop at admin level. Yeah, and- so, I remember I heard that. That was crazy. So Scott, I'm interested. You're you're, you're calling out Logitech a few times. I I know that I've purchased just kind of any old mouse that looks good on Amazon before, but Logitech is not an any old. It's it's one of the most well known names out there and they're having problems. Is there a problem with buying the sort of any old and connecting it by Bluetooth for for mice and these other peripherals? Well, yeah, I mean, to your point, Logitech is is one of the most well-known and largest ones. And so that's why attackers kind of research them because they have a larger attack surface that way. Um, Like the dongles for their wireless mice over wireless can be used to attack the laptop, right? That was a Mm. Logitech one that came out in like 2018. Um, like in on the last thing I'll mention about Logitech, I'm not trying to single them out, but like, mm. um, I'm familiar with them because they are the largest, but there, there was an attack where Logitech options, which is a software feature in the drivers. If you brought that up, uh, there was a vulnerability where if you went to a website that knew about the vulnerability, it could literally send your laptop, any keystroke commands run a system. And so, oh which is basically sending malware effectively and acting like they're mm-hmm. at your laptop. And all you did was visit a website with that driver. So mm-hmm. it's it's this kind of thing where, yeah, the, the you know, and that's Logitech. They have, you know, an SSDLC, which means a secure way of developing code mm-hmm. that it gets QA'd. And they have a bug bounty program, which lets a hacker uh, or a researcher get paid for telling that company about vulnerabilities. But um uh, this the smaller ones don't even have that and they're flying faster and they ha- they're using cheaper components and they're reusing open source software that has backdoors in it um uh to kind of lower down the stack even the more propensity there is for for backdoors right from the factory not even a vulnerability but like literally backdoored passwords and accounts and things like this is this even applies to like your home router sitting uh, exposed to the internet mm-hmm. uh, yeah. a lot of them have you know, easily accessible credentials that you can get just by if you know the right web URL yeah. to hit. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff there. It's true. There's also sometimes a disconnect with uh, these kinds of devices where, like you were mentioning, you know, some of them do have a very robust secure coding practices. Others do not. They buy firmware somewhere. It's as cheap as it can be. And, and in those cases, it's also very vulnerable. So that takes us to the next um, question I had for you. And this is the wearables question. It's kind of like the minute I talk about wearables, my heart breaks a little bit because I just broke my Apple watch. Uh, I was going to wear it and fell up right on his face and smashed to smithereens somehow. Mm-hmm. 
So now I am noticing a lot more people wearing those watches and I'm jealous. Uh, I know these are connected to your phones. Uh, more people than ever wear them like kids. I know even my kid has this $17 thing that we got on like AliExpress or whatever, and it's connected to my phone and so forth. I'm thinking, what should we be thinking about when we buy this really cool wearable and can we bring such a thing to work? All right. So I'm going to divide my answer into two. One is to make a broad statement for awareness. We don't need to go down the rabbit hole. And then I'll pivot back to like the Apple Watch, for example, right? But the broader statement to take away is that children's toys and wearables and child, like baby cameras and um, any, any kind of toy that has, is an IoT, like it connects to your wireless network. Um, these things are notoriously malicious from the factory. Uh, tons oh of God. research has been done. Uh, some of these, what a researcher might call a bug, ends up being actually uh, a feature that's designed in when you look at it from the proper lens. Um, and that's because parents trust toys more than they trust even their, their phone watch, like their, their Apple watch. They they trust the, the notion that their child and their world is innocent. And so it's a very easy place to attack the home um, and attack even corporate enterprise through... Mm -hmm widgets that are designed for children. So just bear that in mind, like the, the, the lower stuff from Alibaba, the stuff that costs so cheap, it's too good to be true. Part of the reason why some of the stuff is so cheap is because it has ulterior uh, functionality for, for a foreign government. Um, and I don't want to put too much, um, what's the right word? Um, sky is falling flood on this, but there, there's definitely examples of this already. Now, pivoting to the other end of the spectrum, you know, we all love and trust our Apple Watch because Apple's there and they definitely have a secure coding environment. And, um, you know, I've trusted them since 2007 with every phone I've had and I've been porting my operating system from the, the original iPhone all the way up to the latest one. Um, and that's that's pretty incredible, right, in technology. But, you know, the Apple Watch is also ubiquitous. And so it also gets targeted. Um uh, there's there's a group called the NSO group, for example, that's been able to target Apple watches, not just iPads and, and phones, um, but the way the watch renders a text message when it goes to your watch was able to compromise the watch. Sadly, um, they're located in the same city as I am. Yeah, I, I you know I didn't want to like go there, but you know, but but let's just, let's be honest. Um, that city has some of the absolute smartest, most brilliant minds in in the cyberspace by by and large. Um, and uh, that's why so many cyber companies, you know, are, are, are from that, that, that region in general. It's just phenomenal talent. But um, a lot of this is, is a way also for, for organizations to make money um, by selling spyware to other nations to spy on citizens, uh, press, and en perceived enemies of the state, uh, etc. And so all that kind of ethical stuff aside, from a raw vulnerability uh, standpoint, the, the Apple Watch is, is a prime target because if you go to an airport and let's say you're an executive, you might be smart enough to turn off, uh, put your phone on airplane mode. Maybe if you're lucky, you trained your exec staff to do something like that, right? When you're in a malicious wireless hot zone like a foreign airport. But you better believe they're not turning their Apple Watches on airplane mode. Correct. And that's a full stack, a full compute stack with wireless, Bluetooth, microphone. Yeah, they're there, yeah. Right? There is so, a cellular now as well. 
And then so the watch gets attacked. And then what do you do when you finally get to your destination, your hotel room? Well, you turn your airplane mode on your phone off. And all of a sudden, your now malicious watch is talking right to your phone in a trusted API stack. Right? And I mean, meaning the phone completely trusts the code on the watch. Yeah. So there's... it's just kind of a way to asymmetrically attack all the way back to your laptop, actually, if you wanted to, from, from starting with your watch and starting with a text message. <laughs> That is crazy stuff indeed. Uh, and it's true that there's a lot of inherent trust got between the phone and the and the watch and how people trust this brand more for security. So these are things that definitely we should know. I also thought about, you know, privacy. They've been, you know, the watch, everything is, is operated on applications, little apps that, you know, work on it. There have been data leaks. There have been applications that have harvested a lot more da data than they should be. Uh, they collect location data, GPS data. They know where you are. They know where you've been. People have been nearly convicted of murder because they were at a certain time at a certain place where something bad happened and they turned into suspects. So, I mean, these things are really, really crazy. Those are the things you should think about. And like Scott said, you're not putting your phone on airplane mode and so on. So think about that as well. So, not your phone, sorry, your watch. What, one, one thing to, to think about there going forward into this, this great unknown, this, this future that we're creating together as a, as a society is, like, like you said, like that was a, a person riding by on their bicycle past the house where a murder was committed. I remember that right. one. That was a, maybe yeah. a couple of years ago. Um, but that was um, kind of what you might call an unfortunate circumstance, right? That's an understatement. But, but if you think about where uh, attacks are going in the future, it's going to be more about um, attacking someone by modifying their data rather than destroying their data like ransomware does today Altering. or breaking a device. It's going to be about modifying their data in a way that gives the attacker leverage over them in the context of digital extortion. And I know the three of us had that conversation in the last podcast we did together about ransomware in general and where digital extortion is heading. But, you know, these devices do say where you were, when you were. They do say where you sent money to, uh, when you you know sent money to, or who you received money from. They do have a phone record, a geo record. Like there's, there's all these ways to kind of implant on your device. And that can even not even happen on the device. It can happen in the cloud, right? Like you can actually be... Um, True. Framed, if you will, uh, in the cloud. Even though, uh, in terms of forensics, like that's all the all the courts would need to at least get you um, served papers, and then you then your life is already ruined. Whether you're guilty or not is almost um, inconsequential because as an executive, all these things are public. You know, when you when you get sued or when you get um, um, go go through something like that. So, I, I unfortunately, I feel like that's where where bad guys are going to find leverage is in our connected devices and in our privacy data um, that today we take for granted because it enriches our life, but tomorrow can be used against us. You know, That is true. And these are things that um, the information security industry is speaking about, but I think that everybody should be mindful of. So thank you so much. This has been an extremely helpful talk today. Uh, we're really happy that you shared these insights with us and the audience. And thank you, our listeners for being with us today and on every episode it's almost the end of the year we appreciate you and every time you were with us i hope that this episode is going to serve you well and if you have other ideas about tech you want to know more about all you have to do is send us a message and we will reach out to experts that can address your questions 
On our next episode, we have backups that will help you understand why backups are more important than ever and how to get them right. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at youreverydaycyber at securitycurve.com. And if you're on Twitter, you can follow us at cyber underscore everyday. Thanks again for tuning in. Scott, thank you again. And we look forward to the next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Your Everyday Cyber Podcast with Limor and Diana. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.